0: Welcome to the Dean Abbott podcast. This has turned into an occasional podcast where I sit down and chat with interesting people about the topics of emotional wellness, relational success, and personal growth. In this episode, I chatted with dating and relationship coach Jack Peach about how the whole of the West has become a grooming operation and why the red pill alone is not the answer.
1: All right, thanks, Jack, for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dean. It's uh, good to be here. It's really, it's really great to be able to actually meet you. I've I've actually followed you for years. Like, I, oh, really? You were one of my yeah, you were one of I'm going to say like my earliest follows or something. But you were, I've definitely followed you for at least two or three years. Um, so it's good to to finally meet you in person.
0: Yeah, it's interesting um, when you are on Twitter regularly, like you have mutuals or you've people you follow and you kind of feel like you know them. And then when you, and then to actually kind of meet them, it's always an interesting experience, but you too, right. I followed you for a long time and uh, really appreciated your work. Why don't you tell everyone a little, who might not know about you, who you are,
1: what you do. And, um, and we'll go from there. Sure. Yeah. So I'm, my name's Jack Beach. I, uh, I am a, a Twitter a Twitter presence. I don't know how I define it. I hate the word influencer, so I'm not going to use that. But I have a Twitter account and I post things on Twitter. But I'm also uh, a relationship slash kind of dating coach, uh, where I particularly help single guys get into meet quality women and get into committed relationships. That's my main focus. I don't. I'm not teaching guys to sleep with women. I'm. Not, um, although unfortunately, if they if they they get good at what I teach them. They will be able to do that, which has happened on occasion, but that's, you give someone a hammer, whether they use the hammer to knock in a nail or to, to bash someone's head in. I can't really control that, unfortunately. But yeah, the the purpose is to, uh, to help guys get into committed relationships ultimately. And there's a few different reasons for that. And I'm sure we'll probably discuss those probably as we go throughout the show, but that's, that's my main, uh, that's my full-time job nowadays.
0: So the reason that we, decided to chat was because I wrote a thread, I guess, last week on Twitter that um, got a lot of response and uh, it was about the, it was a short exploration of why the relationships, relationship between the sexes, at least in the West are so bad. And one part of that, that really um, inflamed some guys was, saying, was my saying that the problem begins and ends with men because the masculine sets the context, the masculine leads. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I got a lot of what we might call them sort of more red pill guys, I, probably people who are guys who are kind of almost um, MGTOW, kind of the anti-woman, men going their own way kind of guys. Uh, responding and uh, and being angry, and uh, and you commented uh, kind of approvingly on that thread. Do you want to talk? Let's talk first about how it is that the problem begins and ends with men. Fred, do you agree with me on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is something that I often bump against bump up against in my own, you know, on my own my own timeline is because ultimately men are responsible, right? As you mentioned, men are the leaders and with leadership comes responsibility. And this is something I think you talked about in your thread. I forget the, the exact details that has been forgotten or lost or yeah. Cause you mentioned in your thread, the, the responsibility of men is when you get into a relationship is therefore you've got to, you know, take care of the emotional load of your, your wife or your girlfriend. You've got to be able to, you know, help alleviate, some of her concerns, some of her pains, and that's the responsibility of coming with the relationship, of uh, being in a relationship. And the problem is today, a lot of men don't want to take responsibility, and it's that exact same premise, that exact same uh, refusal of allow, that refusal of being accountable uh, with taking the the negatives that are associated with leadership. That's actually led to this position. Um, it's actually the exact same process. And this is the exact same thing that they then rankle against, (laughs) which is the, the kind of proving your point actually. Um, Mm. uh, so yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm in complete agreement that, uh, I've often said like something that I've really triggered people is that I actually believe that when a woman cheats, it's nine times out of 10, it's a man's fault.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Obviously I don't want to say every time. And some, you know, some people are just bad people, whether they're women or men but more often than not, it's a man's, uh, it's a man's inability to manage the responsibilities of a relationship that will cause a woman to emotionally detach from him and then reattach to another man, for example. Right. Um, and it's, again, it's the same process. It's just the risk refusal to take responsibility and to take the, take the bad with the good.
0: You know, um, Part part of the way I began that thread was to point out that men in the West certainly now are everywhere taught to view women as essentially uh, representing only pleasure, and that when when a man gets into a relationship with woman with a woman. Um, the fact that there's also responsibility there comes, can come as a kind of shock Mm -hmm. and he, and he becomes overwhelmed by the responsibility and by her differences. Right. So she's more emotional. She thinks differently and he doesn't know how to respond. So therefore, and eventually she disconnects. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, On that thread, one of the most interesting comments that I got was from a woman who said, I am a radical feminist. And I don't necessarily agree with the original post, but the whining comments that this thread is receiving seem to prove the point, right? Um, Yeah, so... Again, do do you think I'm correct in my assessment that men everywhere are basically taught to see women as pleasure, and that it's a shock when you also have to take responsibility to be in a relationship?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Everything. I mean, this is basically the the central premise of my my book, Weaponized Sex, which um, is basically the general premise is that we actually live in a society which culturally grooms women right. Ah. Uh, to culturally grooms them themselves to, to view themselves as sexual objects and to view themselves as pleasure objects for men. And that causes a fundamental disconnect between their biologic biology. This, and we were talking about this before the show about the interplay between culture and biology. We'll get into that later. Um, but I do think that, yeah, everything from pornography, which is, you know, most teenage men, Well, they're not men, but you know, most teenage boys, uh, first experience with, or first knowledge of sex or first, uh, any information they receive around sex is pornography. And then aside from that, it's just the way that things are talked about, you know, presented culturally in music media. Uh, even when we go to universities, the, one of the things that is framed at universities is that universities are almost there for pleasure, right? Like you go to university for the experience rather than to learn. Um, And part of that experience is a promiscuous lifestyle and getting access to the pleasure associated with being around young, fertile women. Right, (laughs) And uh, it's something that is absolutely endemic to our society and is incredibly harmful to men as well. Um, And to go back to one of your, your earlier points as well about, you know, this is ultimately shouldered on the, the the this ultimately rests on the shoulder of men is that a big part of this is the lack of mentorship from elder men from mm-hmm. the the older generation um, there is no longer that pathway where you can talk to I mean even parents you know you know you can talk to your parents or you can talk to the older gentleman whether you're in a church you can talk to the pastor or you know the youth pastor or whoever it might be or whatever the other culturally Uh, acceptable kind of mentorship roles there were where there were men involved in the community traditionally even 100 years ago even probably 50 years ago Um, that no longer takes place and it's kind of outsourced the the transference of this kind of knowledge to media and the Mm -hmm. problem with media is that there's there's ulterior motives attached to media whether it be propagandic or whether it be profit driven whatever it is like you know there's a reason that newspapers are loss leaders, right? Because media in general is has got a, a purpose behind it, an ulterior motive. And when we disconnect young men from older men, and because older men also, again, keep, keep on the same theme, they are not shouldering the responsibility of mentoring young men. They don't see that as their role within, within the culture it's left to things like music videos, pornography, uh, video games, other mass media, to uh, where young men are getting their education about this. And that Yeah, leads to a, a sexualization. And uh, as you say, just viewing women as a, as a form of pleasure rather than uh, a source of fulfillment, meaning, and you know ultimately a good relationship. The person that you're with should actually be a mirror to yourself. Mm-hmm. And they are a mirror to yourself and someone who should bring out the best in you. I, I like to refer to them as portals, you know, a good girlfriend or a good wife is a portal to, to a new future, uh, a different future and a different you. It allows you to pass through this process that uh, then takes you to a different place afterwards. And a lot of men also are lacking that today. Don't see that and don't value that is probably a better way of putting it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: And so without that portal, they, there's an epidemic of staying stuck, right? Staying stuck at a particular mm-hmm. level of development because what causes a man to develop is the acceptance of responsibility. And uh, when, when you have young men, especially, who won't do that, they just, they, they get physically older, but not more grown up. And so we have this sort of epidemic of, and when a man won't grow up, he ultimately can't be a satisfying presence for a woman. Mm. And so we have this way that um, men, because they are kind of, well, basically programmed into perpetual adolescence aren't, don't become the kinds of masculine presences that can fulfill a woman. Say, I want you to say more at this point about your the central premise of your book about women being
1: culturally groomed. Yeah, sure. So, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, essentially, I believe that you know traditionally for for a man who was sexually exploitative of a woman or a young woman he would have to uh groom her and lead her through certain processes to get past the mental barrier whether and protective barrier of parents schools uh you know the cultural system church whatever it might be Mm that that there would be these processes where they'd have to lead them step by step to get to a point where they'd be able to engage them in, you know, sexual intercourse as a young woman. Right. What I now believe is men have the predatory men have outsourced that process to institutions such as media education, um, and a few other areas. You know, if you look at film, uh, obviously pornography and, um, the way that music is presented, the, women now are actually groomed by culture rather than individuals. That makes, there's, a, there's less friction for predatory men to get access to women. Um, an example that I use in the book is like nightclubs. Traditionally nightclubs were the sole, uh, the sole place of socializing for kind of degenerates essentially. Mm-hmm historically or if you look at the disco scene of you know even homosexuality and um with these kind of more deviant sexual behaviors and drug taking and all Mm -hmm. the rest of it and it was a very niche thing to a certain group of people now over the past i don't know 50 40 30 years i'm not sure on the exact timeline of how when they became more and more popular to the point where my generation by the time i was 16 and growing up in britain if you weren't going night clubbing you were a weirdo Mm -hmm. Right. That was like, everyone does that. Why aren't you doing that? So you'd get these 16 year old girls who most of them would be going out night clubbing, not like a few wouldn't be a small proportion, right? Mm -hmm. It was like, this is the culturally acceptable thing to do. And their parents were okay with it, Mm -hmm. which is also a complete break from the past. I mean, historically parents would be the people who should shoulder the responsibility of looking after their children's uh, safety. And particularly their sexual safety and they understood that uh that a woman's purity was valuable to her and would be valuable to her as she got older especially as a young you know as a 16 year old etc that was, right. was considered too young unless she was willing to find someone who was willing to commit to her right then perhaps they, they, they could you know they would get married um and i i basically believe that culture has kind of skip that process and remove the morally dubious aspect for predatory men. Mm -hmm. So instead of a man having to go through that process himself of leading her to that point where it's like, okay, now you can kind of close as it were. Uh, Now you just go to a nightclub and you can take your pick to a degree. I mean, it's still, you know, it still takes some skill. You know, not every guy can go out and have one night stands. I know that it's like this, you know, there's, there is this conception this misconception that every guy can do it and every guy is doing it—it's actually not true. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are elements of men who are, I think, more predatory who absolutely thrive and can get it all the time. Mm-hmm. And it just removes that morally dubious aspect. Another, like for another, another example, is women drinking. Right, like at a nightclub, women are drinking. Their their guards are lowered. They're more open to be. They're easier to exploit as a result. In the past, a man would have to be the person who kind of produced that alcohol for her right? Which would be traditionally considered grooming. Now she drinks it herself and puts herself in that morally compromising position. And he just moves in at the end. She's done all the work. He only has to do the final process now. So that's what I mean by cultural grooming is like where I believe that mass modern culture is essentially a mass grooming program. What's the cycle, the the
0: psychology of a woman who's been through that? that cultural grooming process, Uh, you know, in terms of how she sees herself and what
1: she expects from men. So I'm, I'm obviously careful of being overly generalizing here. And I think that I can fall into a trap that our scene has of, you know, saying all women are terrible and that you can't find a good quality woman and stuff. And I just want to add that disclaimer before I go into this, that, there are very good quality women still out there. Not every woman falls into this trap. Even some women who do understand that actually it's not good. They might engage in it a couple of times and they feel a dissonance between what they feel and what they're told to feel and it's wrong. And therefore they don't carry on and doing it. And they shouldn't be written off as a result of, you know, as a result of our culture, leading them down a certain path. Right. That's not, I don't, no, you know, women are autonomous and they, you know, they could resist it, but I don't hold them 100% responsible for that. Right. But there are a large proportion of women who do go through this process and never kind of realize it. Right. They never realize exactly what's going on now. The mental state of these women is, tends to be quite damaged. Mm. And I have, the reason I kind of have this awareness is because before I became who I am today. I was very much ensconced in the night clubbing party scene in where I'm from. And it was one of the things that, you know, I've lived on both sides of the aisle as it were. So I know the mental, um, you know, I hung around with men who I would consider now predatory dangerous men. I was never one of them, but I've always had my own morals and values, but I was involved in that scene. Right. So I was, I've been around these men. I know how they think. I know how they behave. I've been around these women and how they think I know how they behave. And there is very much, they see themselves as, uh, they're like almost a prize or their sexuality is all they have to offer. Mm-hmm. Right. And it is a prized to offer to certain men who maybe if they want to get some kind of value exchange themselves, they will often see their own sexual worth in transactional terms, whether it be, tattoos, or whether it be drugs, whether it be social status attached with being with a certain man, whatever it might be, um and being connected to the DJ, right? You know, like they can be the guy who they can be the girl who can get behind the DJ booth and for them that's worth the social status attached with that is worth the uh, having sex with this guy, right? Um so, and not being in a relationship and not actually getting anything else out for it other than the fact that people can see you behind the DJ booth. It's, it seems like a poor trade to me, but anyway. Um, yeah, so there is this view that... that um, and the view, of course, that casual sex is liberating, right? And women feel that they're getting in touch with their, their femininity somehow by doing this and that it's a rebellion against the modern world or I should say the traditional world, not realizing that actually the way they're living probably damages themselves more than anyone else, unfortunately. So and society and culture as large, but yeah.
0: Right. So what we have then is men who are in a state of um, perpetual adolescence who cannot take responsibility and women who have been taught to see themselves essentially as objects and, and to regard those perpetually adolescent men as as almost like gatekeepers to be pleased in order for them to have status and value. Mm -hmm. That's not a good situation. (laughs) No. Right. So, um, to change that, of course, begins and ends with men. Yes. Right? Because so long as... Men remain stuck. The women uh, women will not rise above the level of what the men are interested in. Right? Um, and so if the standard of behavior is going to be raised, only the men can do it. Yes. Um, So that is something that apparently quite a few young men don't want to hear. And one of the consistent criticisms that I received was that uh, I don't really know what it's like out there. Right. And maybe that is true, although I don't think it is, because the underlying the underlying assumption of that criticism is that fundamental psychological, spiritual, and biological realities change in a generation and they do not, Mm -hmm. right? They don't. Uh, So essentially women operate now the way they operated a thousand years ago. And, and so, to say, well, you don't understand how things are in this generation misses an important point, which is that human relations are governed by eternal, though perhaps invisible, principles. What do you think? Do you think that the situation we're encountering now for people who are now in their 20s say, is it... um, fundamentally different than anything we've ever seen before.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Tell me, I do believe that. So this is again, something that, that I talk about in, in weaponized sex and it's this tension between biology and culture, which I've already alluded to before, and particularly technology, right? So technology leads in quiet revolutions, like, we can see this, you know, this is the kind of the argument behind Bitcoin right now. I'm not a Bitcoiner. I think they're, you know, th- this whole idea that Bitcoin is going to save the world. Nobody's nobody's articulated to me why that is the case. And I do think mm-hmm. there's almost a cult-like mentality around it. But I'm also open to the fact that I do understand that technology does completely revolutionize the way we live. Look at smartphones and how people behave now. It, it, technology leads in quite revolutions. And one of the the major foundational changes in male and female interaction was the invention of contraceptive pills, Mm -hmm. right? That did shake up the boat, right? Uh, Traditionally, patriarchal protective norms around sex and how women were to behave and uh, protective mechanisms within our culture for, for around sex men and women was in large part due to the, the, the consequences and I'm not saying they're all negative but the consequences of having an unwanted pregnancy suddenly you you know the the labor and the emotional capacity and the financial capacity resource strain that uh, raising a kid has is immense like I've just got I got a two, year, two month year old son right like it's been a huge shakeup in my life for, for me for me and my wife, and we're pretty mature people, right? Or we consider ourselves are. You can, I suppose, the audience can be the judge of that. But, um, but we're we're people, you know, who wanted the kid. You know, we wanted our son. You know, and um, so traditionally, we had cultural norms to protect women from these things. The contraceptive pill and the you know the mass rollout of contraceptives removed the need for those patriarchal protections in the hard, immediate consequence side of things, right? So the hard, immediate consequences that would come with casual sex in terms of children, um, also STIs and stuff, we can treat them with antibiotics as well, things like that, uh, have been removed. But the soft and sort of um, delayed consequences of engaging in casual sex haven't been removed. And that's, I think, part of that's also where these biological drivers and these, what you talked about evolutionarily, we are, women are actually wired not to have casual sex. Now I do believe there's maybe an argument that can be made that that doesn't mean necessarily they have to commit to one person forever. I think humans pair bond, but I do think we have the capacity to pair bond to two or three people in our lives. I don't think it, I think there isn't, there is a limit to that. Uh I do, you know, people do, Know people do die, you know, and then they get remarried and they can still pair bond, right? So just to add that little bit of context. But um they are not designed to have sex with 20 men in a year, right? (laughs) And that causes a lot of psychological problems, emotional problems, difficulties for them to then pair bond later and you know, insecurities and all kinds of other issues. And that I think is a biological response to, to their behavior, but because it's not immediate, it's not a, you know, an in your face consequence, people don't realize often until it's too late. Women don't realize till it's too late. And then suddenly their, their life's in tatters. Right. So I do believe there is, there is an element of truth that it is tough out there, but the only way, number one, that you're going to make it better is by you making a stand and fighting against that and then leading women out of that. Big thing I try and I'm gonna I got to try and get into my own messaging on Twitter is the importance of men trying to settle down younger. Uh, number one, because if you're with a younger woman, you're, she's going to have less time for these kind of damaging effects to take place. She's going to be easier to lead. She's going to be someone who's going to be more capable of being led due to not having engaged in these kind of behaviours. And also, I just think when you settle down younger, actually, you you guys bond in a much deeper way. I don't. There's a a red pill kind of maxim that you should wait until you're in your thirties to meet a woman and get married because that's when you're at your sexual market value peak. And there is an element, again, like all these things, there's an element of truth to that. If you are the highest value man in society, yes, as a 32 year old, you're going to be in your physical peak. You're going to be earning good money. You're going to be very attractive to women. But you know, in, in the current cultural climate not that many 20 year old women want to be with a 32 year old man they still want to have fun right they but they will be with a 22 year old man right because they can have an element where they can still engage a little bit of culture they can still party or they can go you know things that i possibly wouldn't necessarily endorse but you know if you drink occasionally it's not a problem as a youngster like i I don't think it's necessarily healthy but you know we do have to be very careful of not going too overboard and too puritanical which would push people away i think in some sense as well it's kind of a, a thread that has to be balanced um and if you're in, you're, you're 22 and you you meet a 20 year old 19 year old woman you can lead her out of that then you can raise your own family and then you can create a uh, you know a uh, a family that is also raised with those values and that's long-term demographically how we're going to change things even in in your mid-20s like if you're in your mid twenties, you should be looking to find a partner like ASAP in today's market. Like, good women still exist. Most of the women I do think fundamentally want children again because the biological determiners. Um, and then get yeah, culturally, that gets programmed out of them. And if you're a man who wants children, I think you'll find your woman if you lead in the right way. You'll find that your woman will want kids as well. Uh, the problem is when the men don't take responsibility. The men don't want children, then. Women follow. This right. is a big problem. A lot of people don't want children today, and again, having children is a huge step up to to making you take more responsibility. I can see this in my own life. Um, the past, when I found out my wife was pregnant, I was like, okay, I got to get my I got to get my ass into gear, man. Like, I got to like stop playing around and focus in and really build some things that are going to provide some stability for my family and provide us some um, opportunities. It's other sort of myth that you can't you know, you can't balance a relationship with like success. It also is something that needs to die. As far as I'm concerned, it's absolutely ridiculous. But anyway. So
0: we talked a little bit about what the um, situation is on the, you know, in terms of actually on the ground, what kinds of problems do guys, young men now come to you with? What What are their common
1: concerns and problems? So, it depends a little bit on their situation. So a lot of my clients are either Christian or ex-Christian, right? Uh-huh. Just because of the values that I, you know, we have shared values. Um, and actually a big problem, actually, that a lot of my clients deal with are they would consider themselves ex-Christians. And the reason they've been raised in a Christian environment, but unfortunately the the language around sex and relationships and all the, the lack of discussion around sex and relationships eventually caused them to push away from it because they didn't ever get into a relationship because they didn't know how to handle it. because we never taught how to do it within the religious confines. Right. So that's actually probably the biggest problem I face and then how to navigate that and deal with probably elements of sexual repression and stuff. And the other thing is meeting good women. Um, But this is where we can get into a bit more of the kind of esoteric, not really, yeah, I suppose kind of esoteric stuff that virtually all my clients end up meeting a very good woman, if not in the time we're working together, almost immediately afterwards. Mm -hmm. And part of that, I believe, is because a big part of the work we do is to open themselves up to love, open themselves up to the capacity for love. And I think this is something you commented on recently on, on my own post and once they become open to the feeling that they deserve love and that love is achievable and possible suddenly they as if by magic they meet a woman who's what they want right it's this um this you know obviously i'm religious so i believe it's god's will once you start working towards what you strive to achieve and you live in alignment with what you want to achieve then suddenly the opportunities to achieve that come into place. Um, a big problem a lot of guys have in the red pill community is they want the traditional woman, but they aren't acting in a way that's in alignment with, that, with what it takes to lead that kind of woman.
0: You know, one of the things I say from time to time on Twitter is that we live in an anti-love culture, right? Mm-hmm. And that, you know, part of the problem and part of the reason why we really live in a culture of despair is that there is a widespread love, a widespread I belief, even if it's unconscious, that love is not really possible. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that is something that you're seeing in, in some of the men who are coming to you. Is yeah, and that, that you have they have to be trained to open up to that. And I suppose it's too that it's related to the unwillingness to take responsibility so that if you are uh, a young man who's unwilling to take responsibility in relationship with a woman well you're going to create experiences for yourself that tell you that love isn't possible and you know and i suppose too that if you are a woman who believes that love is impossible you're uh you're going to you're going to believe that sort of something like status and protection are all that matter, regardless of what kind of man is giving you those. Mm -hmm. Um, So, okay. So this is the problem. Let's talk a little bit about why the red pill alone is not the answer. Okay. So Mm -hmm. I, you know, again, on this thread, I got lots of criticism from red pill guys. And or you know whatever that means at this point i mean 15 years ago i think the red pill was kind of more defined but now it's a little more diffuse but the fundamental um the fundamental objection i received was basically it reduces to women are bad too and that mm, yeah and 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 you are not not saying enough about how bad women are and um And because you're not saying enough about, um, how bad women are, you're blue pill, which means, I guess, uh, it means that I, I I mean, I essentially take that to mean someone who accepts a kind of feminist narrative about relationships, right? The dominant feminist narrative, which is not me, right? Um, And so it's, it's just, it's a, it was an interesting response to, to say men are empowered and men alone are uniquely empowered to improve the relationship between the sexes and then to have lots of men come on and basically say, no, we're not we don't have any power. Uh, and that while at the same time, their Twitter avatar, you know, is a wolf and their you know, <laughs> their handle is super strong alpha 101 11 19, right? Or whatever it is. So they're so strong in alpha that they can't accept that they are in the power position just
1: by nature. I mean, am I reading that right? You think? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, essentially the way that I frame it is that red guys who are really red-pilled, like traditionally red-pilled, have right. essentially entered like the victim a victim mindset with regards to women. They've they've become the victim and maybe they've had they've usually probably had bad experiences either as kids growing up in terms of their mothers or, you know, with prior relationships or, you know, as a teenager, maybe they didn't get the 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 relationships with women they thought they were entitled to or they thought they deserved as, you know, teenagers, and it causes them bitterness. And they then become a victim to the evil woman, you know, the evil woman who's out to get them and out to exploit them. Um, and that's, you know, in any field, fundamentally, entering into a victim mindset is dooming yourself. Right. Um, you basically have decided that you have no more agency to deal with the situation. It's not your fault and that you can't change it and that it's just, you know, you, you're perpetually going to be in a position that's exploited. And, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because the the same guys will, will talk about how terrible a victim mindset is. I'm not aware of the fact that they've entered one with women. They, 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 they refuse to, um, to be able to, to take up the mantle that they need to, to be the kind of man that they need to be. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very, it's funny. Like you say, it's when you get, the way I see it is if you have to define yourself as an alpha and you have to tell people you're an alpha, that's an insecurity, right? Mm-hmm. That right there is making up for an insecurity that, that that's within you. Um, alphas don't have to, you don't have to guess. You can right. tell. they they don't engage in these petty games. They just are. And, you know, we can get into maybe the alpha beta dynamic. I I think those, it's a false dichotomy, of course, like it's, but it's, it is illustrative of the, you know, a certain kind of person, which does exist. There is now, again, like all these things, there is an element of truth to it. But, um, if you have to tell other people you're an alpha, I hate to break it to you, but you ain't.
0: (laughs) You know, one of the other interesting underlying contradictions I saw Was that, you know, a lot of these guys, they don't quite seem to understand that when I say uh, men should take responsibility, they don't understand that it is through taking responsibility and becoming a man that you yourself are proud of because of your virtue and maturity, that that alone is fulfilling for a man, okay? Oh, yeah. They don't, and their, their, um, their entire conception of masculine fulfillment is how do women respond? And so that, they're, so that they don't want to take responsibility and uh, be mature and pursue virtue because they'll say, well, women don't like that, right? And so mm-hmm. there is this way in which their entire conception of what a man is and should do, is in fact utterly dependent on and takes its cues from women's responses. And while at the same time declaring themselves to be, you know, so alpha they couldn't care less what a woman thinks, they've actually entire, built their entire worldview around centering women's responses to them. Uh, and this is part of the reason why part of the reason why that point of view seems very unpersuasive to me in the end is because as far as, as much as they want to talk about not pedestalizing women at a conceptual level, that's exactly what they've done. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they've, yeah, they've essentially, uh, outsource themselves to an external locus right they right. they no longer are internally driven they're externally driven and again i do i do like the, the the thing that i always feel and say about the red pill is there is always an element of truth to it and there is an element of male self-worth which will always be related to his success with women sure you know that that will always be there but it should never be the sole or the main driver which is The the interesting thing is also why these men tend not to succeed with women, actually, because they do uh, put the focus too much on them rather than on themselves. And then realizing that women are going to be attracted to them because they should have an internal locus of, of, you know, an, an internal locus of control where they do view themselves, have, as you mentioned, principles, have things that they stand for that, you know, they're not going to sacrifice for the sake of succeeding with a woman. They're not going to sacrifice for some, you know, some vacuous pleasure, even they're not going to suddenly give up on their morals. Like there was an advert I saw recently, and it's a very effective marketing campaign because I'm talking about it now on Twitter about is from, I can't remember who it was. I'm going to say like some condom manufacturer or something. I don't know. I can't remember. There's like, um, it's not that effective marketing eh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um they they essentially the advert was it's okay to uh to forget your principles for one night oh, you yeah, know it's awesome, the yeah the yeah the idea being that you know if you hate trump but you're attracted to the super masculine man who's a trump supporter it's all right to have sex with him you know for one night because you know and that kind of thought process is actually absolutely and i think it was aimed at women rather than men personally, but the advert, but, uh, was an, is an absolute antithetical. It you know, It's the antithesis of what you, you should do. If you want to attract women, you should absolutely be internally motivated that you have this, this, these these principles, these views, these values, and these goals, which then come forth from those values. And it's finding a woman and only accepting a woman and having standards that you'll only ever be with a woman who fits in with these values, these goals you have, a woman who will add to those goals, not take away from them. And you're not just using her for pleasure, to go back to the initial premise of what we talked about a while back. You're not just using her for for pleasure. You have a purpose behind this relationship. And this is a big thing that I do with my coaching with guys is we work through this together. We figure that out and then we realize like, yeah, okay. So you want this from your life. You value this. We need to find a woman like this. And then it's like, oh yeah, you're right. It kind of makes sense. And then it's amazing how many times they then find that woman after they've kind of come to this realization. They've done this internal work that means by having this internal locus, suddenly things are drawn to you, you know, in terms of, Mm -hmm. if you want to use the the law of attraction, it's, um, even if you want to look at it in a more kind of rational sense, it's more just you're hyper-focused on what you want. You're more driven. And then people who, also or women who will connect with that see it and they are drawn to you right if you want to look at it in a a rational sense as opposed to you know a religious or a spiritual sense even even seeing it in that light it i mean it just happens time after time with my clients like um once we work this and obviously we do some other stuff that helps them you know overcome some some other barriers and stuff uh, and give them some skills i mean they succeed when they meet these women but um but yeah it's amazing what happens when you just have that that internal drive that internal focus and that that belief that self belief that comes with it as well and not believing there are no good quality women and therefore you know bad things happen
0: yeah. yeah, and also it is that um internal locus of control, that internal focus on um my values beliefs goals, et cetera that is fundamentally uh, definitive of the masculine perspective. And so when guys um, kind of refuse to develop that part of themselves, no matter, you know, again, even if their Twitter avatar is alpha 01928 or whatever it is, they maintain a fundamentally feminine mindset, which is reactive to, Uh, whatever is happening around them. And that's what I'm, I I think that's the irony of so many of the comments I got on that thread where, uh, you know, they're, um, they're fundamentally sort of behaving out of the feminine part of themselves versus really uh, cultivating their masculine uh, approach to things. And, you know, and all it does of course is reinforce for them their loserhood, which of course then requires them to print in to be alpha even harder.
1: All mm-hmm.
0: right. Um, where are we going from here? Do you think there's uh, what? What do you think the future looks like? Do you think there will be a kind of a, a big cultural reset, or do you think we'll just continue to slide down until we reach some kind of
1: terrible bottom? I swing to both depending on my mood. (laughs) I'll be honest. And maybe I haven't got my internal locus of control good enough to be focused in that. But, um, I do sometimes, so this is, this is my, my hopeful and optimistic view of it. I do think that with a big part of what's happened in the past, you know, 60 years, I, I, in, in my book, I go back and, go from the the sexual revolution, right? That's where I start. I think actually it probably started with the end of the the first and second world war when we lost a generation of men. And I think actually the sexual revolution came out as a result of losing those men. Um, But anyway, I only go back to the sexual revolution in the book just for, you know, narrative sake. And, um, they, I, I forgot my, lost my train of thought. Yeah. I do think there is going to be uh, a cultural resurgence because a big part of why that happened in the 60s, 70s, 80s, et cetera, was there was a huge increase in optionality for lifestyle. Mm. We had uh, a big economic boom and that's not a bad thing, of course. And there was globalization, travel, and suddenly young people had all these options, which they didn't have 50, 60 years ago. Mm. Right. Um, And that increase in options has led to, I mean, there's a diffusion of choices, number one. So just less people are going to make good choices when there's more options. When your options are more defined, if you have two options to take one good one, one bad one, most people are going to take the good one. Or just by probabilistically, you're going to get 50-50. When you have 20 options and maybe there's two or three good ones and 17 bad ones, less people are going to take the good ones just by maths basically right um, and we've had this increase in optionality that's led to a lot of poor decision making uh, with regards to what will actually lead to fulfillment and contentment for people now i do believe with what's happening at the moment in the world with in response to covid and you know there's travel restrictions and there's less choice and less options for what people can actually do just by nature of how the world is being restructured as a result of that that i do think that there is going to be a cultural resurgence towards intimacy connection and community which is going to occur in response to that now so where technology will play into that for example you know we live in opposite sides of the world and we're communicating through this and we've got some element of community but it's not a physical community And i do think there is going to be some element of that that will go on as well you're going to get kind of people are going to be atomized um, kind of physically, but technologically they're going to be very connected uh, with like-minded people. But I do think in general there is going to be a a greater push into people finding connection. Uh, One of the things that's actually happened with some of my clients, I've got a lot of clients in Australia and at the moment, and I've got clients elsewhere that also have lockdowns, right, at the moment. And one of the interesting second order effects of the lockdowns is it's pushed women who normally wouldn't be on dating apps, mm. onto dating apps and online dating. So I've had a few clients <clears throat> who have met really good quality women through, through dating apps, which normally doesn't happen that often, honestly. Because mm. um, these women, they've even said they weren't on it before. It's just they felt like at the moment they have no options. So they were, they, this was the only option left to them. So they took this option and they've met my, my client, right. He was also, you know, they, they're a good man in general. No, they're all good men. Um, not in general. If you listen, you're a good man. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, so I do think there is these, these decrease in options. You're going to get less people traveling. There's going to be less. Uh, people wanting to take the risk of not having someone to settle down with in case lockdowns happen again. These might be perpetual. We don't know. There's kind of warning signs and rumblings that might be the case. So people are going to therefore be almost forced just to have that, that emotional connection, which in the past, you could go out on a Friday night, you could be disconnected a week, just working job. And then Friday night, you're connected with all these people and you feel you know, even though it's a false connection, you feel connected to people. You feel like you've got a community, even though it's not a real community based in anything other than hedonism. Now, people, there, I think there will be some kind of kickback. And also, I think, you know, scenes like our own are getting more cultural weight as well. I think that's definitely true. We're, we're definitely not dominant. I think we have, we sometimes in our echo chamber, we over... Uh, we overstate our own influence. We over, you know, we think we we have a greater influence or we're a bigger community than we are. But I do think that things are definitely moving in that direction. There's definitely an increase amongst my generation of moving to a more, you know, a more commitment, intimacy, family centered way of living, which I don't think was the case in the generation before.
0: Right. And I think yeah. I was going to point that out. Right. One piece of evidence that things are moving in the right way is that some people are going to sit down and listen to us talk. Yeah, and that alone is going to um do it. Now I know that you uh need to get going. So let's let me just say so got
1: about fifteen, ten, fifteen 10 15 minutes, so it's okay. not a problem.
0: All right. Well, um what what else uh is would you like to talk about? Um I you know, we we've, we've covered kind of the problem why the red pill is not the solution, what the future's going to look like. Let me so let me ask you that. What Could people like us, people who um, want to encourage a more intimacy-oriented, commitment-oriented approach to relationships, what could we do, do you think, at this point, to expand our
1: influence? I think one of the greatest... The greatest way that you can really make hard scale changes is to network with people around you. One of the things that, that's been great for me, like on a personal level of coaching, guys, is that on my Twitter, it's all abstract, right? Like I'm putting this content out and people are reading it, of course, right? And I'm obviously having some influence on people's thought processes, or I hope so. Mm-hmm. But I never, uh, it's very rare that you kind of see that how does that manifest, right? Like how do, how are people actually using this in their everyday lives? And I'm not to say that it doesn't make an influence. I just don't know. Whereas when I'm working one-on-one with people, I can see the change that there's happening. And when I get a guy who had no dating prospects into a position where he's in a committed relationship now, like I know for a fact that I've had such an influence on this guy that potentially this is going to create another family. And hopefully, you know, they're good people and I give them the foundations that mean they will be a good husband, a good, father in the future and that if they have kids they have three four kids then the exponential effect that's huge right Mm -hmm. so i do believe that it's got to be we have to be careful of getting locked into the online world and thinking that just doing stuff online is enough now the scalability and the reach is obviously way more obviously right so that's that it does not mean that we're not having an influence and we shouldn't do that but i do think getting involved in the real world getting out there and you know talking to your friends having an influence helping people around you doing physical mentorship if you know a guy who is a friend who's in a situation you know maybe they're having a tough time in their relationships and you're in a bit of better position get involved and help them out give them some advice you know like take put an arm around their shoulder and you know give them a kick up the ass if they need it whatever it might be right like um, to help them out and Get as many people to, and then, you know, share my Twitter with them, you know, so share Dean's Twitter with them. So they also get this kind of, you know, this, this thing that can influence the way they think as well in a more positive light. And the two together is what we have to do. We have to have not just the digital, we also have to have the physical. And again, it comes back to the whole theme of this episode. As a man, you have to take responsibility for those around you whether it's your wife, whether it's your children, whether it's your friend, you have to be the one who is willing to, to put your neck on the line and get involved in that sense. And I think that is when we're gonna see the real big changes when our scene and people involved in our scene have got the, the confidence and the courage to, to then transfer it off, you know, from the offline, from the online world into the offline world. So how, how, how does the guy
0: work with you if he wants to?
1: Um, so you can reach out to me on Twitter. Number one, um, my newsletter as well is a great place to kind of find out what I do and the way I think better because I do much more detailed breakdowns on my, on my email list than on Twitter for, you know, for obvious reasons. It's just, I can write as long as I want. I don't, they're not too long, but, um, you know, you can, you can articulate much better in 700 words than you can in, you know, 280 characters. Right. right. Um, and at the moment, just, for people that are aware, like I am quite limited in my spaces. So there is an application process that people have to go through. If they do want to work with me, they have to fill in an application form and then we have to talk and see whether I think they are a good fit and whether they also will benefit from what I have to offer. Right. Not everyone will benefit from it. So, um, I don't want to, uh, I don't want them to, to, to spend money with me, to work with me, if it's not going to be useful for them, like obviously. So, um, So that's the best place you can, the the application forms on my Twitter bio as well. But uh, I would recommend just reaching out to me first and let's have a little chat. You know, we don't have, you don't have to jump straight into the application form. Um, Just message me. I'm open to DMs. If you have questions or you just want to chat about it, let's, you know, I I, I always make time to talk with people who take the time to, or the effort to reach out to me. Um, Obviously just follow me on Twitter as well. I, I, I do, I've just started periodically doing some kind of Q and a sessions where people have questions for me. They can ask me questions and I can help answer them. And that can be a way you can still get value, personal value without you know, necessarily working with me. Very good. Um, So that'd be the best places.
0: All right. Thanks a lot, Jack. And uh, let's stay in touch.
1: Yeah. It's been a pleasure, Dean. Thanks for having me on. It's been uh, it's been great to, to get to hear how your mind works in person as well. Nice. No, thanks great. a lot.
0: Thanks again for listening to the Dean Abbott podcast. If you'd like to stay in touch, you can find both Jack and me on Twitter. Until next time, we'll see you there.